Welcome back to the Community Online Podcast. This week, we're joined by Community Pastor Jason Ishmael as we conclude the series, Money Talks. Remember, you can always find us on Sundays streaming live at communityonline.tv. We hope to see you there. All right, I'm gonna start with a pretty crazy question, but stick with me here because it's really gonna make you think. So get ready. If your house was burning down, what would you grab? I found this online project called the Burning House Photo Project, and I gotta say, I'm fascinated by it. Uh, People were invited to take pictures of what they would grab if their house were burning. I mean, I'm telling you, I can look at these things all day. Uh, How about this one? Uh, This person goes to exactly what you'd expect. I mean, grab the baby. I mean, don't forget the baby. So books, maybe uh, the shoes. Honestly, though, I'd probably leave the shoes and just get some extra diapers. Probably save some money in the long run, you know what I'm saying? Uh, How about this one? I like this. Uh, This person grabs some things you'd expect. The laptop, maybe some sentimental photos, but a bottle of wine? Like, seriously, how expensive is this bottle of wine? And and is it really appropriate to make a toast when your house is toast? I I like this next one. This one, like, absolutely blew my mind. Look at this. This is a a bag of money. Like, a bag of $100 bills and a pack of Marlboros. This is like, is this Jason Bourne's picture? I mean, this is the go go bag for a a spy or something. This person's going to start an entirely entirely new life. I expect to see, like, 20 passports in this thing. I don't know. Uh, I took a picture, too. Uh, If this were me... Well, and it is me. Uh, I would grab my Lucky Grill spatula, uh, a pack of ramen, uh, some shoes, and this Space Jam toy I got from McDonald's this week. Honestly, like, I took this picture because I wouldn't have anything. I have four kids. I mean, I'd be lucky to get out of the house with pants. I'm telling you. Like, all I've got is the kids. So, I mean, I, I got to ask you, though. What would you take if your house was on fire? I mean, think about this question. What really matters to you? This burning house question forces us to examine our relationship with material wealth and possessions. I'm telling you, it's crucial because our relationship with material possessions always has spiritual implications. We're in the last week of our series called Money Talks, where we've been encouraging one another to examine our relationship with money. You probably expect me to say something about how bad money is right now. It's all evil, that sort of thing. But money itself isn't actually the problem. It's an important tool and pretty handy, honestly, when you're paying rent or buying groceries. But the problem is that we're prone to letting money take over. In this series, we're discussing what it would look like to have a healthy relationship with money. Uh, We're imagining that money is a person and that you're in a healthy relationship. Like Money literally pulls up a chair and wants to talk. So if money weren't trying to derail you and actually wanted to help you in your relationship with Jesus, what do you think it would say? So here's what we got today. If money could talk, it would say, I'm a much better servant than a master. I'm going to say that again. I'm a much better servant than a master. But too many of us, I'm telling you, too many of us live as if money is our master. We're being mastered by money. A report by Thriving Wallet shows some statistics on this. No kidding. 90% of people surveyed said that money significantly impacts their stress level. I mean, think about that. 90% of people. I mean, that's almost all of us. 65% of people said that they were facing insurmountable financial difficulties. 40% of people said they wish they could have a completely and totally fresh start when it comes to their money. And 25% say that uh, they make stress purchases that they let her regret big time. 
I mean, these issues are affecting a huge number of people. Uh, chances are you can relate to one of these statistics, and I know I can. So where does all this trouble we have with money come from? I think it can come from a lot of sources, and I, I want to start by acknowledging something here, though. Uh, for some of us, there have been real crises that are impacting our relationship with money. Uh, maybe it was a long stretch of unemployment or underemployment, uh, a costly medical procedure, a bad loan, or a scam. Uh, those are things that are real and really do affect our relationship with money. Uh, so I, care, I want to be careful here. I'm not saying money stress is always because we make poor choices, but I am saying that when our hearts are obsessed with money for any reason, we're mastered by it, and that is always destructive. Most of us become mastered by money through what we like to call me-first living. Uh, Me-first living generally prioritizes spending in this way. You live, then you save, and then you give. And think about it. We start making monthly, uh, making, making sure our monthly bills get paid. Uh, we get our groceries. We go out to eat. Maybe we buy something fun. We live. And if there's any money left over at the end of the pay period, we might find some to put in savings for the next vacation or the kid's college fund or whatever. And then we might consider giving back to God or another charity. Lots of times, I feel like we have good intentions to save and to give, things, give to things that we care about. But at the end of the month, the money just isn't there. Uh, sometimes our spending extends even beyond the money we have in a month and uh, we take on debt to cover the excess and then that debt eats into the next month's resources and the next month's and the next month's. You can see the spiral. Here's the reality that we begin to discover in this. Living this way doesn't bring freedom or happiness. It actually traps us. We end up being mastered by our money. Money has a grip on us because we can't let it go. Uh, here's a story I like to use to, uh, to illustrate this. Like, I got a, one of my best friends lives in India and he told me once that, that monkeys, like, it's kind of weird. They look at monkeys the way that we do uh, raccoons or opossums. Like they're, they can be a pest sometimes. And when that happens, they got to figure out ways to, to trap them. So they've got this really clever way of doing it. You get a coconut and they drill a small hole in it, and inside the coconut, they put uh, like, a, like a handful of sticky rice. It's like some delicious sticky rice. What happens is the monkey finds this coconut, and they attach this coconut to, uh, to something that, that can't get away. The monkey reaches inside, and it grabs the sticky rice. Now, here's what's crazy. The monkey, because it's got its fist now around sticky rice, can't pull its hand out of the coconut. I mean, it literally won't let go and continues to stay there. I mean, it's crazy. The irony is that uh, the monkey isn't actually trapped at all at any time. It could let go of the rice, slide its hand out, and be free at any time. What has mastered the monkey is the idea of that yummy, delicious rice. So we got to ask you, what's the sticky rice in our lives? What keeps us mastered by our money and living out a me-first lifestyle marked by living, saving, then giving? Here's some ideas. And as I describe them, I want you to think about this. Which one of these do you think you relate to the most? How about this? Security. When it's nice, right? When you've got enough money to know that you're always taken care of, you can weather any storm. Uh, there's something nice about having the biggest nest egg possible. Maybe that's the sticky rice for you. It's security. How about this one? Personal wealth and value. I know a lot of people who have grown up 
thinking that uh, how much they have determines if they're successful or not. I mean, they even feel better about themselves if they dress a certain way, if they have a certain kind of car in the driveway, if they have a certain kind of house. Like there's a personal worth that is directly attached to the things, the stuff that they have. How about this one? Power. If you've got enough money, maybe you have this in your mind that you could, it gives you a sense of control over your own fate and maybe the fate of other people. Uh, there's power in that. Uh, this one really gets me though. Independence. I mean, I, I don't really care about controlling other people, but I'm going to tell you, I don't want anybody controlling me. And the idea of having enough money to say no one else can have control over my fate is pretty appealing. Maybe you feel that as well. Uh, honestly, I don't know anybody that doesn't get hit by this last one, though. Pleasure. I mean, talk about sticky rice. I mean, the, the idea of having the resources to indulge ourselves, to get what you want. I'm going to tell you, like one of my favorite things about being an adult is that I have enough money to buy the toys that I couldn't afford when I was in junior high. It's amazing. But I got to ask you, what is your sticky rice? Independence, pleasure, what's what's the thing that keeps your hand gripped around those things and keeps you trapped? The thing is, Jesus knew that we would be prone to being mastered by money. And he's not surprised by it at all. I, I think he wants to help loosen our grip on the things that trap us. That's why he warned us this. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You hear? You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus viewed money and our constant quest and want for more of it as the chief competitor for our devotion. As much as we try to play both sides, there isn't enough room in our hearts. I'm telling you, there really isn't enough room in our hearts to love both God and money at the same time. Both of them demand 100% from us, but only one deserves it. I once heard a song by an artist named Jill Phillips that paints this contrast in one powerful verse. I love this. She says, no one serves both God and money. They're like the East and West. You're either facing one or facing the other. So you decide which one you love the best. When it comes to God and money, we don't get to face them both at the same time. It's all too easy to feel like we're facing the wrong direction. It's one of those things that even though we know the one we're supposed to love the best, it's, it's hard to loosen our grip on money as master. It's sticky rice and we can't let go. But I'm here to tell you that there's actually hope in this battle. You might've been losing this battle for a long time, but I can tell you there's actually hope in this battle. This isn't a fight that we're destined to lose. So how do we turn the tables and make sure that money isn't the master, but is the servant instead? According to Jesus, we got to prioritize something else. We got to totally flip this. In a powerful statement about worry, he starts out by saying this. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or about your body, what you will wear. It's not life more than food the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? I mean, Jesus knows that worry is one of those ways that we tighten our grip on things like money. He goes on to tell us about how God takes care of flowers and even fields of grass. Now, all of us who always seem to worry if we'll ever have enough, he finally says this, but seek 
first his kingdom and his righteousness. And listen to this. And all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus totally flips the script. To loosen the grip, we've got to prioritize something, something else. Instead of me first living, is what we like to call seek first living. And it looks like this. You give, you give first, then save, and then live. Rather than the last thing we do, giving is the first thing that we do. We don't give what's left over. Giving takes precedent over everything else. And it's impossible to overstate how significant this change can be in your heart. When our priorities flip and we give first, the impact on us is huge. It's so immense. Andy Stanley puts it this way. When you make giving a priority, something happens inside you, especially when it's financially challenging to do so. It's like you loosen your grip on a value system whose motto says, money is the key to life and happiness and safety. When we seek God first and prioritize giving instead of tightening our grip on our resources, money starts to take its rightful place as a servant instead of a master. Seek first living can change your whole relationship with money just like it did for Rich Benema. I'm Rich Benema, along with my wife, Kelly, my sons, Josh and Nathan, and my daughter, Faith. We've been attending community for about seven years now. Tithing has never really felt like a burden or an obligation. It's something that I consider, it's something I want to do. It's something that I feel fortunate to be able to do is that I have been given so much. I've been blessed so much, not just monetarily, but spiritually and in so many other ways by God that to be able to give him something back is something that I'm very willing and eager to do. I give first, I save second, and then I allocate where my spending has to go. And it works because that's the plan. And when you follow the plan and you stick to the plan, and if it's a good plan, it works. The benefits of that are that you get to achieve your goals. When I'm giving, I'm helping move the Jesus mission forward. When I'm saving, that means I'm gonna get to retire. I'm gonna get to send my kids to college. It isn't just about what can my money do for me today? It's what can my money do for me 10, 20, 30 years from now? And what can it do for me in eternity? The CAP course is a budgeting class, and that's all it is. The first week, we talk about the importance of a budget. The second week, we start talking about the system, because it's a slightly different system, about how to organize and allocate your money. And then the third week, we start talking a little bit about spending. There's also the spot for encouragement and for assurance and just saying, you're going in the right way or try going this way and just getting people to go in the right direction and keep going in that direction. So if you need to figure out how to get and implement a budget, this is something that could help you. One of the benefits of having a budget, of sticking to a budget, of, of saving, is that you don't have to be chasing money. If I had to be worried about, oh, I gotta pay for this, or I gotta afford this, or I gotta save for that, and that means that I gotta go get this other job or get this other pay, well, then I might be chasing after something that I don't enjoy doing, that I don't like to do, something that's adding more stress and burden to me. I think the biggest blessing is contentment. 
I feel that I have not just what I need, but what I didn't even know that I would have wanted. What can you do but attribute that to a loving God who gives good gifts? I strongly encourage you to consider attending the CAP Money and Budgeting course. It starts on July 28th. It runs for three Wednesday nights here at the Yellow Box. Uh, It's three weeks, and it's going to make a huge impact on living a seek-first life. You see, the same story that we heard from Rich is possible for you and me as well. But in order for that to happen, I believe you and I need to be challenged in two ways. If we're going to unseat money as the master, the first step, the first challenge we've got to take is to commit ourselves to seek first living by deciding to give. This first step might actually be the hardest, but I'm telling you, it's totally worth it. Here's my challenge to you. Before anything else, for the next two months, give a percentage of your income. And the greater the step you're willing to take, I'm telling you, the greater the impact that it's going to have on you. So don't be afraid to stretch a little bit. Personally, I think the local church is a great place to make a kingdom investment, but it's where the bulk of my, my giving goes because honestly, I think it is the best way that we can make an impact together. But I'm telling you, if you think this challenge is some sort of like self-serving trick on a part of the church to try to get us some more money, uh, give to some other kingdom costs. Whatever it is, start to give somewhere and see what God does to your heart. And here's my second challenge. As you give over the next few months, pay attention to the tension inside you when it comes to giving. If it's hard, why is it hard? Really ask yourself, who is your master? Try it and see what happens to your heart because here's what I've found. God loves a cheerful giver. And I think you might get a taste of the joy of the cheerfulness of giving something away. And to me, it's probably been one of the biggest barriers in my life. My money tends to stick to my hands when I try to give it away. But the funny thing is, is that I would have expected the more give, the more I would give, like the more that it would sting me, the more it would hurt. I'm telling you, it's actually the opposite. See, that tension It gives way to joy as your heart changes. I'm gonna challenge you to try that out. Pay attention to it. See, ultimately, this is a decision about who will be your master. Which master are we serving? It's either one or the other. And Jesus makes his call crystal clear. Here's what he says. He called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up the cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? The truth is that even if we gain the whole world, money can't deliver as a master. No matter how much we have, money always fails as a master because it was always meant to be a servant. We have one master, one Lord and King, and he is the best giver of all. I'm challenging you to submit to the Lordship of Jesus. Don't miss following Jesus to be mastered by money. Declare that Jesus is your King today. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you that there has never been a moment where we could say that you have not delivered as master that you have not been able to uphold the weight of your own promises. Father, we praise you that you have promised life to us. You said that you gave us life to the full. 
And Father, we thank you that you actually have enough life to pour out into us to make good on that promise. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for the tension that is in all of us, where this part of us wants to serve both you and money at the same time. And I pray that we would have one heart, not a divided heart for money and for you, but that 100% of who we are, 100% of how you've made us, Father, would we commit to you as our master? Because, Lord, no one loves like you. No one gives like you. And we praise you for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.